Good morning. It's so good to see you all here in church this morning. Please stand. Let's all sing together as we begin our service.
Father, we come today to declare that you are not only the creator of all, you are the ruler of all. And we're here today to worship you, to open our lives to you, and to ask you to work in us miraculously. It's our desire that our worship, our songs, your word, our prayers, that would, all of it would bring glory to you and would lead us into closer relationship with you. Thank you for the privilege of coming together today. and We pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship before you're seated this morning. a great day to come to the house of the Lord, and uh, we're glad that you're here. As always, there are things happening not only this morning, but other times throughout the week, and the bulletin has a number of uh, uh, things, announcements about that. Uh, Just note, Wednesday evening, children and youth, regular schedule, but the adult prayer group will not be meeting here. We'll be joining uh, Global Christian Fellowship to hear Janine Brabon. Janine, who is speaking at Wednesday night, and I think Friday in chapel, and some classes as a um, been a part for the last 20 years or so of prison ministry in Colombia, and she has worked with, I think, considered either the or one of the most dangerous prisons in the world. And um, they, ha- I think, it was not unusual to have a murder in that prison every day. And over the course of these 20 years, God has brought like revival on this prison. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of prisoners whose lives have been transformed, been through discipleship. Some of them are now in other prisons uh, ministering there. Uh, It's just amazing what God has done. And Janine has been, God's used her in an amazing way through this. And so I I think you want to hear what she has to say. She'll be talking about revival, talking about God among us uh, Wednesday night and then Friday in chapel. So we'll be a part of that gathering. Next Sunday morning, worship at 820, 940, and 11. And if you're interested in uh, joining this church or you want to know more about membership or even just who we are as a church, I'm having a membership class on uh, February 22nd. That's a Monday night. Just let me know uh, either through the office or you can email me uh, about your intent to attend. There's an insert in your bulletin. Uh, Two things. One is the Valentine's Banquet, and you see that listed there, and the uh, deadline is Tuesday for that. On the other side of it is uh, information about our missions weekend in two weeks from today, and a great time together. We will invite you to be a part of the breakfast that morning. If you are interested in that, you can RSVP, and the information is there in the bulletin. We hope to see you as part of that gathering. There's lots of prayer concerns that are in the bulletin. We pray for things related to us right here as well as around the world. And we want to give thanks for the gift of new life and a baby born this week. Give thanks uh, to God that Ezra Gustav Schilke was born on Tuesday to Jan and Stefan and their family, and everyone seems to be doing well, and we're excited for them, and I pray God's blessing upon this little one. We have the opportunity now to give back to God from the many ways in which he's blessed us as the ushers come and assist us giving our tithes and offerings. I wanted to just share briefly this morning before I play this song, um, a favorite psalm of mine, Psalm 13. Um, and it really talks about times in your life when you feel um, rather abandoned by God. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Uh, This song that I'm going to sing has been special to me in times like these described in this psalm.
another rainy day. I can't recall having sunshine on my face when all I feel is pain. When all I want to do is walk out of this place, but when I am stuck and I can't move and I don't know what I should do and I wonder if I'll ever make it through I've got to keep singing I've got to keep praising your name You're the one who's keeping my heart beating I've got to keep singing gotta keep praising your name that's the only way that I find healing can I climb up in your lap I don't want to leave Jesus sing over me I've gotta keep singing Gotta keep singing. the opportunity to offer our burdens and the concerns of our hearts to God as we pray together. If you'd like to pray at the altar, I invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, there is so much in our lives that burdens us, weighs us down, concerns us. We see so much pain in the world, we feel pain in our own hearts. We deal every day with disappointments and struggles and, and the reality of living in a fallen world. And so often... Our response, our most natural response, is to feel hopeless and helpless. But we come today to declare that we believe you are God and you are good and you're at work. We come today, Father, to declare that we believe you are the answer to every struggle in our lives and every struggle in this world. And we lay each of them before you. We pray for those among us who are dealing with pain, physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, pain that comes to us in this world, and we pray that you would bring healing. We pray that you would give comfort to every person who is grieving today, however and whatever that loss may look like. We pray for every relationship that is not what you intend it to be. For a relationship that is torn and broken and shredded. And we ask that you would bring restoration. And we pray that you put it in our hearts to want you to restore all that is broken. 
Father, we pray for the disappointments of our lives, the dreams that are unfulfilled and the hopes and the desires that seem to not be coming to fruition. And we ask that you would give us grace to trust you in the midst of the disappointment. Lord, we pray for this world in which we live, the people in this world who suffer so much, far more than we realize. We ask that you would bring your grace to bear in your presence and your people, that not only would suffering be relieved, but there would be a new vision of who you are as loving Father. Lord, we come today in this moment of worship because we need you. We lay our hearts bare before you. And we ask that you will speak deeply into our souls. Help us to hear your words of comfort. Help us to hear your words of challenge. Help us to know that you alone are God. And that you desire for us what is best in each of our lives. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for inviting us to pray. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture verse this morning comes from the first book of the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Genesis 2, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing.
Father, it is so good to be in your house. And we ask that as we continue in worship, we'll hear you, we'll be open to you, and we pray that you'll work in us. Help us to know what you want to us to be through your spirit. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. There are a lot of variables, variables about our lives. Born in different places. Some of you were born in Korea, Vietnam, China, Canada, United States. Within the, even within the United States, I would suspect that the majority of us were born in, in different places. We, uh, we are different in uh, our levels of education. We're different in our family structure. We're different in the experiences that we've been through, the highs and the lows. There are all kinds of of ways in which we are different. But the one constant, or at least one of the constants, that's true for every single one of us, no exception. Every single one of us has the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. 168 hours in a week, 365 or this year, 366 days in a year. And it's not any different for any one of us. 
All of us have the same amount of time. And the question that is continually confronting us as we read through the scriptures addresses what we do with our time. And we live in a world of things like time-saving devices that actually, and yet actually with all the time-saving devices, we, we tend to feel more stressed. We have all kinds of, of inventions in our lives, and yet we feel more stretched. We mean, all kinds of progress in, in technology and the ways in which we work and, and, and things that we can do with leisure. And yet, it feels as though we have less time. When we, look about, when we think about time, one of the things that is going to continually have a bearing on the, a great amount of how we spend our time is our work. Whether that work is a job for which we're paid, things related to what we do with school, what we do at home, but something related to work is going to take up a big chunk of our time. And when we read through the scriptures, we discover that God is very interested not only in our time, but in our work. And in fact, if we really want to understand how God thinks and what God feels about concerning our work and how it relates to our time, we need to go back to what is in essence the beginning of time. This passage from Genesis chapter 2 caps off the creation story. In chapter 1, day after day, the first six days, God has created the world and the earth and all that's in it. And when we get to, to the end of this, God creates human beings. And what I find interesting is that when God creates human beings, his command to Adam is to work. You look at chapter 2, verse 5, it says, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. And then verse 15, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I used to think that work was the result of sin entering the world. You know, we think, man, if sin had entered the world, we wouldn't have to work. But when we read the Genesis account, we see very clearly that work was God's intent for his creatures from the very beginning. God puts Adam on this earth, and one of the great purposes of Adam's life is to work. When we read the scriptures all throughout, we, we see commendation after commendation to people to work hard. Work is important. Work is a part of what it means to be a child of God. And Adam comes into this world and God's purpose for him on this earth is to work. I think it's interesting to me though that that if you read the King James, it says that Adam is to subdue the earth. And we have tended to interpret that as we control the earth and we can do anything we want to it. But that's a misinterpretation. In this translation, it says he put him on the earth to take care of the earth. And I like that better. I think that's much, much more the meaning of what God intends. And what Adam's responsibility is to take what God has created and to enhance it. And to take care of it. And to produce fruit from it. And to produce results in it. And I think that's our work too. I think our work is about producing good things for this world. It's about enhancing God's creation. About taking it to the next levels. About bringing about good for things, for the created world, and for God's creatures, for people. When you think about your work, what you do... If it is something that oppresses people, if it's something that, that puts people in bondage, that's, a, that's negative for people, I think we need to look seriously about whether that's really appropriate work as we see it viewed in, the kingdom, in, in this passage and in the kingdom of God. I've been asking myself this week, why do we wrestle so much with work? You know, why, why, why do I have this feeling that 
work is a part of the fall. Why, why would I think that? Well, I, I think there's a number of reasons. Probably one of them is because we like leisure more than we like work. You know, and so we tend to see our work as something that just gets us to leisure. And, and the only reason we work is so that we can earn money to have fun. Earn money to do what we really want to do. But I don't think that's God's intent for work. Because then work becomes drudgery. It's just a paycheck. We're not really thinking about what our work is accomplishing. And how our work is helping people. And what it's doing for the bigger picture of God's world. And so it doesn't matter, in a sense, what our work is, as long as it fits in that parameters of, of not oppressing people. We tend to think that, you know, important work is, is the stuff that everyone can see as, well, that's really valuable. But the truth of the matter is we all have different gifts. We all have different things that we enjoy doing and we're gifted at doing. And as long as we do it to the glory of God and we do it with all of our might, it's good. And it's productive and it's a part of what God is looking for in the kingdom. I mean, all God is telling Adam to do is to work the ground. He's not telling him to preach sermons. He's not telling him to, to heal a thousand people. He's telling him, work the ground. It's not about the exact precise work. It's the attitude in which we come to it. Is our work simply to get a paycheck so that we can have fun, then our work will always be drudgery to us. We'll never really put our heart into it. I think there's a certain level of, you know, of feeling a bit apathetic about our work. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says that as long as it's daylight, as long as it's day, we need to do the work of him who sent me. And there's a sense of urgency about that, an urgency about, about accomplishing things for the kingdom. And I think one of the reasons we wrestle with work is because we don't really feel that sense of urgency. We don't feel a, a sense of that our work matters in the world, but it does. Maybe one of the biggest reasons we struggle with work is because it's hard. You know, work is hard and it, it takes a lot of our energy and time and effort. And we invest all this energy and time and effort and it seems like sometimes it doesn't accomplish anything. You know, we, we work and, and we get to the end of the day and what have we got to show for it? And every day our work, we face difficulties and struggles and, and people that are, you know, opposing us in our work. And there's one more problem to face and one more difficulty to overcome. And we want to throw up our hands and say, this is nuts. And the truth of the matter is that part of our work is about sin and, and God's curse. You know, the idea of working was a part of God's plan from the beginning. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the result of that was that now when we work, it's going to be hard. And it's not going to produce what we would like for it to produce. And instead of, instead of good crops coming up all the time, there's going to be weeds. And there's going to be rocks and thistles and thorns. And the ground's going to be hard. And it's going to be by the sweat of our brow that we get anything accomplished. And it's hard. And that's... Living in a fallen world. John Oswald makes an interesting observation about that curse. And he says, actually, God is so amazing in that even that curse, he turns into a blessing. Because we have a tendency to believe that our work brings us fulfillment. That if we just accomplish enough things, then we'll really feel fulfilled inside. And what we're looking for, we'll find it in our work. But his work becomes hard and difficult and unfruitful and we wrestle with it and it's a struggle and we are reminded that work can never fulfill us. Only God can. And if work wasn't hard, we might never come to that conclusion. If work always ended up getting what we wanted, we wouldn't think our fulfillment's in God. We would truly believe our fulfillment's in our work. Work is important. Work's a part of God's plan. And we need to engage ourselves in work as fully as possible. But here's the problem with that passage that Jesus says, as long as it's day, we do the work that him who sent me in the sense of urgency. It causes us to think that we have to do everything we possibly can. 
And that makes work become a burden in the, in the worst sense of the word. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, it tells us, he says, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. I find that fascinating. He's finished the work. I know, we know for a fact, that as Jesus is kneeling in the garden and praying that prayer and saying, I finished, there are multitudes of people all around him who haven't been healed. And there are multitudes of people around him who have rejected and ignored God. And injustice still is the rule of the day. I mean, the only innocent man is just about to go to the cross. And people who are vulnerable are continually getting the short end of the stick. How can Jesus say, I finished? Because he says, I finished what you asked me to do. I didn't do everything. I didn't do everything I could do. I did everything you wanted me to do. And somehow that helps us to define our work and to move us outside the realm of what we're not accomplishing causing guilt, but instead seeing the good that we are accomplishing. When I was younger, we used to sing a song and it went like this. Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord. Burn and wear out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a failure, my God, to thee. Now, I understand what that song is about. It's an attempt to to address people who are apathetic about really involving themselves in in enhancing God's creation, in helping people understand the kingdom of God on earth. It's addressing laziness and apathy and just people sitting back saying, I'm not messing with it, you do it. But at the same time, that song bothers me because I'm not sure God's intent for us when we think about our work is that we flame out that we work ourselves to death, work ourselves into the ground. I don't think that's God's plan. I think, but yet we wear that sometimes, especially in the church, as a badge of honor. I never say no. I always say yes. You know, and we, and we wear that as a badge of honor when in reality, it's a misunderstanding of how God's created the world. Because while on the one hand, we have this, this admonition to work with all of our might... The paradox of that is that we also built into our world is the idea of rest. And the one who built the idea of rest into the world is our God who rests. The first image we get of God here in Genesis is God creating, making, doing. The second image we get of God is of him resting. God doesn't need to rest. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get worn out. He has no need to rest, but it's so important. And it's so built into the nature of our world that even God rests. I'm convinced one of the reasons we struggle so much with feeling burned out and stressed and and, uh, overstretched is because we are ignoring something that is built into the world and into us. The world is created for work and rest. And you and I are created for work and rest. And when we don't keep that in balance, if we don't keep the tension, it's going to kill us. There was an article in Time Magazine back in September. It had a picture of President Obama standing on, on a beach somewhere, just kind of walking by the water. And it was an article about presidential vacations. People were, have been criticizing the president for taking a vacation. And there's so much to do. How could he take a vacation? And the article was talking about the research that shows that people who operate at their optimum capacities are people who take rest and vacation. Our minds are not designed to go 100% of the time. Our bodies are not designed to go 100% of the time. And eventually, it will be like throwing sand into a motor. It's going to seize up. And so Nancy Gibbs, who's writing this article, said, if we really want our president to be the president that we want him to be, and if we want him to be in, at the best shape possible, then 
we ought to encourage vacations. And instead of criticizing how much presidents go on vacation, we ought to criticize how little time they take on vacation. It's built into us. But more than that, it's a, it's a deeply spiritual principle. Which is why it's so important, even beyond just the natural way in which we're created. I'm pondering this week, why do we struggle so much with rest? And I suspect that for most of us, our issue is not so much that we are lazy and apathetic and we don't work that much. I suspect for most of us, we're workaholics. That's, that's our struggle. That's our temptation. I, and I'll be honest with you, I know it is for me. So I've been wondering, why do we struggle so much to rest, to take Sabbath? Why do we do that? I think one thing is because we, we get ourselves into a standard of living, and the only way we can maintain that is to keep working, 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 working. I suspect it might be because when we aren't doing anything, we feel useless. If burning out for Christ is a badge of honor we wear, we also wear the badge of honor multitasking. I mean, we're in awe of people that can do four things at one time. And rest and Sabbath says, I want you to do zero things at one time. And we feel useless. We don't know what to do with ourselves. I think, I think we also feel like we have so much to do. And the work is so important. How could we ever step away from it? In the 1980s, Lee Iacocca became the president of Chrysler Motors. And resurrected that automobile manufacturer from basically the grave. And, and brought it back to life again. And since that time, he has been admired in leadership circles and and, uh, people love to listen to what he has to say and and love to talk with him. And he said that often executives will come to him and say, you talk about their work and their lives and said, you know, I worked so much last year. I didn't take a vacation. I got so much done and I worked so hard. And he said, I want to say to them, you dummy. What is wrong with you? You're telling me that you can, you can oversee an $80 million project, but you can't find two weeks to get away with your family and have some fun? What, what is wrong with you? I suspect that perhaps at the heart of our struggle, the heart of our struggle with taking Sabbath and resting is that our self-worth is so wrapped up in what we accomplish. You know, we get value from doing things. People tell us how great we are because we accomplish so much. And how do you walk away from that? That just feeds us and we love that. And I'll be honest with you, that's a struggle that I have. And there's something in us that wants to believe that we are indispensable. That if we walked away, everything would fall apart. But the truth is, there's only one being in the world that's indispensable. And Genesis tells us, he rested. How much more evidence do we need? I think probably for most of us, this idea of Sabbath and and rest might, might trigger thoughts of legalism. If you grew up in the church, more than likely... You have these images of taking Sabbath, of, of what happens on Sunday as what we can't do. And I understand that. I grew up in that environment. Though I have to say, what my environment with my parents was far better than especially my dad, how he grew up. He grew up in a very, very conservative home. They weren't allowed to do anything on Sunday. My grandmother would not read the paper on Sunday. She would save Sunday's paper and then read it on Monday. And my dad tells the story of when he was a little boy. Actually, my grandmother used to tell this. He was about five years old. My grandparents were both pastors in what was then the Pilgrim Holiness Church, which has now become a part of the Wesleyan Church. And, and uh, they had an evangelist over at their house. It was Sunday afternoon. And my, my dad was sitting out on the back porch of their house waiting for dinner to, to be completed. And there was this little, he had this little toy it was, uh, you've probably seen a little piece of block has ends on it and a, and a board across here with little holes and you hammer pegs through it. 
You know, it's a motor skill kind of thing. And you turn it over and you hammer them back through the other way. And he was sitting on the porch doing that. And my grandmother came out of the back, out of the back door and saw him doing that. And she said, William, you know, you're in trouble when she called him William. William, we, you know, we don't hammer on Sunday. And my dad looked at her, a precocious five-year-old, and said, I'm not saved nor sanctified nor a member of the pilgrim hole in this church. And I reckon I'll hammer on Sunday if I want to. He didn't do any more hammering on Sunday for a while. I don't think he sat down for a while. But you know, you have this, this image of legalism that comes to our minds. But the reality is rest and Sabbath are not about what we can't do. It's about what we can do. It's about freedom. It's about being set free. This is a point where we don't have to work. And instead of working, we can do good for people. We are free to, to help people and to love people more than we're able to do when work is a part of our lives all the time. You know, we, we have the opportunity to say, I don't have time on Monday through Friday, but today I can do something for you. The rabbis, used, some of the rabbis used to say that, you know, they ask, what can we do on the Sabbath? They would say, if what you're doing brings pleasure to you or does good for other people, you can do it on Sabbath. This is, but this idea of legalism and what we can and can't do goes way back. You know, in, in Luke 13, Jesus walks into the synagogue and there's a woman there who has been bent over, crippled for 18 years. And Jesus walks over and heals her. And on the Sabbath day, the ruler of the synagogue says to the people, he's really talking to Jesus, but he says to the people, look, you have six days to do this stuff. Don't be coming in here on Sunday, and on Sabbath, and doing this. He doesn't understand. And Jesus said, what is the Sabbath but for doing good? It's, it's freedom. That's why in the Ten Commandments, isn't it amazing? Of all the things that God could say to Israel as they're beginning as a nation, he, he, he narrows it down to ten. And one of those ten is keep the Sabbath. Rest. It's that important. And why does he say that to them at that point in time? Because they're not slaves anymore and they will forget that. And they need to know they're free. Their lives are about freedom, freedom to do good, freedom to be productive in people's lives, freedom to, to be who God created them to be. But it's really more than just about freedom to do good. Resting, observing Sabbath, stepping back is ultimately a declaration that our lives are about Christ, not about work. Or anything that work can produce for us. And that will mean that we may sacrifice. We may have less income. We may, we, we may have less things because we aren't earning as much. We may not get the promotion that we wanted. But if we take Sabbath, if we step back... What we will have is a deeper relationship with Christ. Because when we take Sabbath, when we move back from it, we have time not just to do good for people, but to hear the voice of God speaking to us, telling us that he loves us and that he cares for us, that we're important to him. We hear Christ challenging us about things that are keeping us from being the people that we need and want to be. We hear things that in the noise of the week of work, we miss. And stepping back, we hear. And I know for some of us, Sunday is, it just simply cannot be the day that we rest. We are in professions where we have to work. So what other day is our Sabbath? What other day is our rest? Because we need some time, blocks of time, a day when we step back and it's about Christ and it's about resting and it's about restoring our lives and letting Christ restore our souls. Will Willimon says that observing Sunday is one of the, the most radical counter-cultural things that we do as children of God. 
because we simply refuse on that day to show up for work. And most of the world just doesn't understand that. But it's an opportunity for us to to declare that we live in God's time, not the world's time. It's an opportunity for us to, to remind us and others that we believe eternity is the real world. And that we want to live in this world in light of eternity and of what, all the things that God has for us. Craig Barnes goes on to say that as important as that day is, that Sabbath day, that Sunday, that day set apart, it's still not enough. What we need is a Sabbath of time every day. Every day to be reminded through the scriptures and through prayer and through the spiritual disciplines to to be reminded that the most important things in the world have already been accomplished and we didn't have anything to do with it. The sun came up. The earth is still spinning on its axis. And we didn't have anything to do with those jobs. And he says, I awake every morning to a world that I did not create to receive a salvation that I did not earn. And stepping back, resting, Sabbath is an opportunity to declare this world is God's. He has blessed us immensely and we want to thank him. Here's the issue that I think we all wrestle with one form or another. For some of us, we see this, this, these two truths of work and rest. For some of us, we understand this as we are called to be the energizer bunny. We keep going and 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 we never stop. Some of us see this paradox as though we're passengers on a cruise ship and we're along for the ride and everybody else is waiting on us. We're just there to get tanned and to uh, read a book and to just sit by idly while everybody else does the work. I'm convinced that neither one of those images is biblical. I think a, a more biblical image is of a rubber band. A rubber band, these were invented like, I think, 1845. They've been around a while. We probably don't think much about rubber bands. But the interesting thing about a rubber band is that if you let it sit long enough, without any motion, it will deteriorate and crack and fall apart and become useless. And if you use a rubber band and you stretch it tight around something, and you leave it there for weeks and months and years, ultimately it will lose its elasticity and fall apart and it will be useless. If you want to keep a rubber band as it's designed, you stretch it and at some point in time, you relax it. You stretch it and you relax it. And if you keep doing that, it will, it will keep serving you well. So as you think about your life, which of these images honestly describes you? Are you a passenger on a cruise ship? Are you living like the Energizer Bunny? Or a rubber band? Heavenly Father, This paradox is a tough one for us. So much of our worth and value is wrapped up in it. Father, it's so important to you. Give us the grace to live in this tension. And we ask this through Christ. Amen.
Please stand and sing with us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your hearts to God. And to whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Empty hands held high, such small sacrifice, if not joined with my love, I see in vain tonight, with the words I say, and the things I do. find that tangible reminders help me to keep truths into my head. And so today as you leave, we have a rubber band for all of you. Uh, there's some here on the front chairs. There are people in the back will have some. 
Make sure you take one. And I don't know, wear it on your wrist, put it on your desk. Something that will remind you of the calling of God. The tension, the paradox in which we live of work and rest. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.